1: just can't sit there and trade twos for threes, you can't do it, you're going to lose, coming down the stretch, you're going to lose.
0: And more, you won't find better coverage of Spartan Hoops than you will get here. For both the casual and hardcore fan, come along as we take you for a green-white and ride. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod here to discuss MSU's upcoming game against the top-ranked Purdue Boilermakers in West Lafayette on Saturday. Uh, But before we begin, I'd like to encourage you to leave a written five-star review on the podcast player you use to help other Spartan fans find the show. Thanks to your promotion, we are consistently in the top 75, oftentimes top 50, as basketball podcasts in all of America. So keep sharing it and recommending it to your friends. You won't find better analysis, that is, I like to say, uh, reason to Homer. (laughs) So uh, I miss you fans, uh, but we give it to you straight and as always, you can go to slash support to find ways to reach our sponsors or send gifts to the show. Okay, following an inexplicable two game home losing streak, Michigan State will head to its House of Horrors in Mackey Arena. It's a game we've had circled all year, frankly, is a near certain loss, yet, no matter what we think, I'm pretty sure that Izzo and his staff think they've got a real shot at winning. So, like any other game, we're here to break it down for you. On the bright side, it is a tremendous opportunity for MSU. Uh, as described, if you listened to the last show by top bracketologist Dom Lise in our last episode, it's an opportunity to secure your spot in the 26th straight NCAA tournament and actually get a pretty decent seat if you kind of take care of business in the other games. On the other side, it's Purdue, <laughs> and it's at Mackey. <laughs> so let's talk about Purdue and the Boilermakers. They are 25 and 3 overall, 14 3 in the Big Ten. They're ranked second in Kempom and the net, they're second in offense number 21 in defense and offense. They have been elite from three, 40% shooting as a team, really good from two, uh, 49th. They're number eight in offensive rebounding, number 14th in free throw attempts per field goal attempt. So they get to foul a ton and shoot a decent amount, uh, decent percentage at 72% at the line. Can't imagine why they have those numbers, Rod, you know, <laughs> couldn't be one guy, could it for a lot of those? Yeah. No. Uh, the one problem they do have is they do tend to turn the ball over a a decent amount. They're 123rd in turnover percentage, and on defense, the strengths are avoiding fouling. They're number six in uh, opponents getting free throw attempts, and they are great defensive rebounding team at 13. They're also good against the three at 85 and twos at number 66. They don't turn people over, so that's one thing they don't do. They play a fairly slow middle of the pace pack pace at 174th overall, and 216th in average length of offensive possession. And I th- I hear they have a national player of the year candidate, Zach Eady, And I heard he's a, a big guy and pretty good.
1: Yeah, it's you know, I, I'm I'm torn on well not torn's the wrong word, but <laughs> it you, you have to be it, it's hard to get at subtlety when it comes to Purdue. Yeah. Because the every level the one loss record, the rankings, mm-hmm. the metric systems, <laughs> all of it tells you that this is an elite team. And I'm not really pushing back against that because you can't. So, for example, one of the, one of the things that was um, not well understood, I think, by a lot of people heading into the tournament last year was that purdue had two real problems despite edie's individual dominance Um, they struggled with pressure with ball pressure and they also were not a very good three-point shooting team right well they've solved the latter problem they're not (laughs) not just are they better than they were last year they're one of the best teams in america shooting from three and as we go through these individuals you're going to hear a lot of very high numbers associated with players in terms of three-point shooting percentage. It's not just one or two guys driving it. It's a lot of guys. So that problem has been solved for the most part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, You can, even if you're a great three-point shooting team, as we know, you can have a bad day. Nobody's immune from that. But in general, you'd say, hey, that's not an issue for these guys anymore. I still think that ball pressure is an issue. And and that's why I can, and again, this is where subtlety comes into play. I can look at Purdue and say, yeah, that's a team that is built to succeed over the course of 30-some games. And they're doing that, right? Yeah, for sure. And And at the same time say... I still think they're exceedingly vulnerable when they get into a tournament situation. Now, how do those two things hang together? Well, primarily it's this. I don't think that the Big Ten as a conference has much of the type of style and the type of team that I think gives you a legitimate chance at Purdue. And because of that, and by the way, spoiler alert here, unless Tom Izzo really mixes it up, and he might, um, Michigan State doesn't play that style really either. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but, um, in the NCAA tournament, the odds are much better that somewhere along the way you're going to see somebody who does. And that's been the problem. It was the problem last year in that first game. People go on about... Fairly Dickinson, you know, by NCAA tournament standards, a terrible team, only the second one to lose to a 16. But it wasn't about the quality of the two teams in an objective sense. And I don't even think Fairly Dickinson, right. I have to go back and look at the stats, but I don't think like Fairly Dickinson shot the lights out or did some of those weird things. Right. Like, you know, Middle like, Tennessee
0: State sort of thing.
1: Right. Yeah. It wasn't that. But the style they were able to play was a near-perfect problem for Purdue, if you're looking at it from the anti-Purdue perspective, at least. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's what happened. And, and I think this has been my issue with Purdue in the tournament, not just this year, but over many, many years now, where they've generally been very good to great in the regular season. They have struck me as a program that is incapable, by design, of playing in flexible ways. And I think to try to win six games in March, when you are locked in to playing one way, is a very, very difficult thing to do. If you go back and you reflect on the eight times that Michigan State has been to a Final Four, you think about the vastly different stylistic approaches Michigan State had to see in those runs. And the commonality that all those teams had was they were fully capable of playing different kinds of games and winning different kinds of games. Nobody had some one particular formula that said, hey, if you play this way and you do these couple of things really well, you'll beat Michigan State almost no matter what they do. Didn't happen. Couldn't have happened. You could beat them, but you needed to do a lot to to get that job done. And I, I just think that's been the problem. And, and I look at this Purdue team, and while the shooting issue looks vastly improved, I still think there are those vulnerabilities. So that's what I've been getting at when I... And and I don't know if I talk about it or have an opportunity to talk about it as often here as I might on message boards, but I'm fairly bearish on Purdue as a March team. And that's the reason why. I don't say that it's impossible they'll prove me wrong, but I think I, I don't know how you can take any position other than they got to prove it. Because yeah. there's just year after year after year of failure to do that. And the one year they did, the one year Matt Painter had a real run that got to an Elite Eight and probably should have gotten to the Final Four, um, it was when he didn't, he wasn't locked into playing one way, when he had a super dynamic guard in Carson Edwards. And because of some injuries, I believe that year, uh, I may be misremembering this, but I it, that might have been the year Isaac Haas got hurt. And if it wasn't, it was the year after he left And, and so they were kind of in a transition season where they didn't have their usual kind of dominant post player and they had to go at it a different way. And thus they were much more flexible. They were much more versatile in how they could play and they had a longer run, you know, but by, for the most part, the last decade, what do those teams all have in common? They've all got very big, largely immobile centers, they don't tend to have super dynamic guards. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the center thing in particular is a big problem because it dictates that you're playing one way at both ends of the court. And so it, it makes you vulnerable if an opponent can bring certain elements to the table that, that happen to fit well against that. They don't have counter moves that, that they're typically able or willing to engage in. It's why I've been critical on this. I think we have talked about It's why I've been, you know, we joke about it every time there's some seven foot six kid that shows up on our high school recruit. So I would say, oh, going he's got to a Purdue, Purdue offer, <laughs> you know, but it's been true. It's been true. And by the way, it's going to continue. Uh, Edie announced, I think it was yesterday. He's officially this is it. Yeah, he's done for him yeah. the season. Doesn't matter. They've got a seven three kid and I think a seven four kid. They've got a seven three kid on the roster currently, Berg, and they've got another kid, uh, Jacobson, I think is his name. I've seen him play, um, who I think is at least seven two, might be taller than that. So it isn't changing. You know, he's found a formula that he likes, and you look at the regular season record, you say, Well, you can't argue with that. Yeah. But I argue with it in a sport where, like it or not, you're ultimately evaluated and judged by what you do in the tournament, and it has not worked. Yeah. Bottom line, no non-debatable point. It has not worked. So now the question is, can this team prove that to be just one of those things and they'll actually go on and make a deep run by the way i don't think they have to win the title to prove that wrong but they got to get to a final four i mean everybody you know you you look at the regular season success and that would be the standard i think anything less than that has to be viewed as a disappointment um you know just turning back to what they are um, can i can i stop here real quick though yeah Cause yeah. I think
0: I just, to expand a little bit on that, you know, you mentioned the flexibility and the versatility, I guess, of the team. And yeah, I mean, obviously you're not saying that one team could, uh, that's certainly possible that you could play one way and win and just be so uh, strong and pose your will on the other, your opponents. That doesn't matter if they, that they can try and make you play a different way because you can, you're just so good at that one way. Right. Uh, and so it's almost like it's a matchup dependent, uh, you know, scenario and like, you know, one example would be Virginia. I think it's a team that plays kind of one way. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's more so no, to too. I'm no, didn't.
1: no, and then, I, yet think they, I think you know, you're
0: right. They got knocked out first round. The next year, they come back and then win the whole thing. Now, you're only winning six games. So, you know, I say that, and Michigan State hasn't won six in a row. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, you're only winning six games. So, you get the right matchups, I suppose. You can win. That's maybe, or true. maybe you're so dominant. So, uh, you know, you could certainly make it. I guess, the, I guess the question really is, is it is it a... Is it such an impediment that more often than not it's not going to work out for you, right? That's really the question, yeah. right? I think that's I
1: think that's the case because you you got two things at work here. One is you always have to remember it's single elimination. Yeah, you know I said Matt Painter's got teams that are built to be very successful over thirty some games, right? Mm-hmm. That's undeniable. And if if the NCAA postseason was best of threes or best of fives or best yeah. of sevens. I'd like produce chances a lot more, but they're not. They're best of one. They're single elimination <sighs> games. And then the other factor is you're seeing, generally speaking, in the NCAA tournament, you are likely, not a lock, but you are likely to see a variety of stylistic approaches and and strategic ways to play that teams play and different kinds of personnel groups and I think that has been the downfall the NCAA tournament it may be more so now than ever because I think I think seeding in this tournament is you know it's it it doesn't it's not going to mean much you know but matchups will, because matchups always matter. And I just think you put those two factors together, and if you are not a flexible team, you're not a versatile team in terms of the different ways you can you can win, it's very tough. Yeah. Now, you point out Virginia, and you're right. They had one run. And And look, if Purdue gets their run this year and they win it, those fans are going to celebrate and the all is forgiven and if he doesn't get back there and win another one for the next decade, I think they'll be okay yeah they won't be happy but they'll be okay you know yeah Michigan State fans know about that you know <laughs> you're never guaranteed another one yeah um, no matter how good your program is but I, I I think that I think that if you look at Tony Bennett who in a very different kind of way, Is also locked into one thing at both ends, or he mostly has been over his tenure at Virginia. Um, More often than not, they've struggled. Yeah, that's true. They have not had, uh, particularly in the years that they they kind of moved. They haven't been at that same level. Basically, it's been similar to MSU in some ways Um, since that 2019 Final Four that they won. Virginia has not been the same as they were prior to say the eight, nine, 10 years prior to that, Mm -hmm. you know, during that period where they were regularly a very high seed winning ACC championships, all of that far more often than not, they underachieved in the tournament. So I think you make a good comparison there. You know, you look at those teams versus, you know, a Michigan state, um, Villanova, when Jay Wright was there, Villanova had a way they wanted to play, certainly, but they could win different ways. They could they could play different styled opponents and beat them, um, you know, and that's just something that I think has been a real problem for Purdue. Um, defensively, I'll, I'll go back to that. Yeah. Um, they're a strong defensive team and, you know, reasonably good against the three and the two. They're a great defense. I mean, they're a great rebounding team at both ends. For this might reasons, be the best. Right. Yeah, yeah, but this might be, but not just Edie. Um, this might be the best rebounding team in the country when you take both sides into account. They're right there. Yeah. Um, so they do all of those things really well. Uh, they also don't get called for many fouls, and that's something that causes a lot of consternation. <laughs> Around the Big Ten. Um, But we can, look, do I think they get a beneficial whistle with Edie? Yes, I do. Um, And that's fully acknowledging that Giants often take contact that's not called as well. But I think they they get the benefit of the doubt with Edie Mm -hmm. far more often than it goes the other way. That's my anecdotal sense. Um, But the fact is, it's just a fact, they don't get called for a lot of fouls. And conversely, they get to the line at a good clip at the other end. The only thing they don't do or the only phase of the game that they don't win is turnovers. Because they're they're not a horrible turnover team, but they're not great. Um, he's had much, much better teams than this one in that regard. And they never turn anybody over at the other end. So that's the one area of the game that they lose. Of course, their rebounding has been so dominant that it's more than offset that. Right. But in an individual game, if if you can find a way to hang in there on the boards with them and it's a normal game turnover wise, well, you might get a scoring chance advantage. And you know, so these are there's a there's a narrow path to beating <laughs> Purdue, I will admit that, but it is one that clearly exists. And I just, as I say for this game and the remainder of the season before the NCAA tournament, I think they're in great shape to put it mildly, (laughs) but uh, you know, the NCAA tournament, I got to see what those, what that draw looks like, you know, and maybe they'll get lucky and they'll get a perfect draw for them and they won't have, they won't have to play anybody that, that brings a problematic style to the table, but, for now, that would be my concern if I were a Purdue fan. Is oh, here we go again. We get an opponent whose guards can really get into you with ball pressure, a team that can swarm ED to kind of neutralize them, and maybe a team that in turn also has enough perimeter shooting that they can find ways to stay in it in that phase of the game, too. Yeah. That'd be what I would be worried about.
0: Well, the one thing that I, I mean, all three losses have been away losses this season. They've all been in the Big Ten, too, which is a little surprising because yep. they certainly faced stiffer competition prior to the Big Ten play. They had
1: a great non-conference. Yeah, the, I mean, it's not like they're dodging that's what anyone. I mean. You can't. Yeah, you can't. Believe me. I'd love to date them, but you can't. <laughs> their, their performance this year has been on the merits, has objectively been outstanding. And again. They did. I give them credit. The strengths they had last year have remained strengths. They had two significant weaknesses a year ago, and one of those they shored up really, really well. So you got to give them credit. I mean, they've had a tremendous season. It's it's one of, it's one of the better regular seasons that, relative to the competition at least, that I've seen a Big Ten team have. In, in quite a few years. I mean, I would say probably since the Wisconsin team of 2015. So it's probably been in the last eight or nine years. This is the best regular season I've seen a Big Ten team have when you take the resume into account. Now, yeah. the one the one thing you could say is, well, this is a weaker Big Ten than we normally see, and it's certainly weaker at the top other than Purdue. That's true. You don't have, you know, a bunch of other perceived Final Four contenders in the mix, whereas a lot of years you'll have multiple teams in the league that are seen that way. But on the other (laughs) hand, as you said, they played a really strong non-conference schedule. They played some very good teams, and they handled it. They just took care of business, bottom line. So I can't really ding them too much. And the odds are reasonably good that they're going to end up 17-3. and yeah. So even in a weakened Big Ten, that's that's doing the job. Absolutely. All right, well, let's get through the lineups here uh, for the Purdue Boilermakers. Uh, but
0: this is brought to you by the brothers of Just Two Gutters and this player that Michigan State needs to keep in the gutter. And I know everybody's saying this edge your seats before Rod tells you yeah. who Michigan State needs to keep in the gutter. So we'll, we'll have to wait and find out who it is. Uh, but if you need gutter work done, it's when I was at that reception last Sunday and the guy came up to me and he's very nice and he said, yeah, I talked to you. I just want to feel like I need to get my gutters done. So, <laughs> so I'm glad we're connecting people well, cause they do fantastic work again, if you need gutters and you know, a lot of rain in Michigan, uh, it was seven degrees yesterday and today as we're recording, I think it was snowing here. I don't know if it was snowing on your side of the state. Uh, but it, it, definitely, it definitely feels like Michigan with a 60-degree weather change. Cold
1: and and windy, <laughs> that I can tell you.
0: Yeah. I, we have a river birch in the front of our yard. And that thing, I, I can't believe it loses branches. But I go and pick up all those branches, and about three days later, there are as many branches and little sticks and twigs sitting around as it was the day before. I i don't know how there are any branches left in the tree, yet it seems to always be um, – it just keeps making more, and they fall down all the time, especially in the winter. So anyway, so – I got my kids doing that tomorrow. So, uh, But if you need someone to take care of your gutters, the brothers are just your gutters are the ones to get call. They can clean out those gutters if they're getting a bunch of sticks stuck in them or if you need leaf guards because that river birch is dumping a bunch of leaves in your gutter. He's noticing a theme here with my front yard. Uh, they'll fix all that up. And one of the nice things I've had now that I had my gutters fixed and they actually put the gutters on the little awning that was over my front door, I used to have to restain my door, it's a beautiful wooden door, like every other year because it just would get beaten up. I thought it was from sun damage. It turns out it must have been water damage because now that I have gutters moving the water away, my door still looks perfect in the winter, which has not happened since we've got that new door about fifteen years ago, which makes me feel really dumb that I never got my I never thought about getting gutters in those spots before. But anyway, so if you need that taken care of, contact the brothers just your gutters on the Metro Detroit area, Greg and his team, or on the east side or the west side of the state with Kurt and his team in the Metro Grand Rapids area. you can find out ways of connecting with them at tffinots.com slash support to get an estimate. And again, 10% off if you mention Final Four, getting your uh, estimate. Okay, so we'll be in the starters. Braden Smith, 6.1 sophomore point guard, averaging 12.7 points a game on 47-42-83 shooting. Pulls down almost six rebounds a game and seven and a quarter assists a game, which is just a little bit less than the 3-to-1 ratio. Now, this is a little bit like Connor McCaffrey, I think. <laughs> Since it's easy to get an assist when you just throw it into the guy who's inside who's dominant uh, post player. But anyway, I mean he's not turning the ball over a, a ton.
1: Yeah, look, I, I and you're probably gonna be shocked by this. He's actually my pick for who they should be. Holy State cow, I am actually shocked. Wow. Yeah, and, and that's and that's <laughs> because I think it's I think it's just about impossible to take edie away you know he's like you can have worse games or better games but you know it's it's very tough but if you can find a way to limit Braden smith you might be able to find your way into a competitive game against them you know so that's that that's my thinking he's clearly not the player that Edie is in terms of his overall impact uh But at the same time, I think I think it's kind of akin to what I always say about Michigan State. AJ Hogarth's not their best player, but he's their most important player. Yeah. Right. I kind of think that's true of Purdue in a sense, maybe not to the same degree, but Braden Smith's improvement is a big part of why this team is better than it was a year ago. You can't I mean, six rebounds for a six one marginally yeah. athletic guard. it's it Seriously, and I'm sure there's somebody out there who's done it that I'm forgetting, maybe multiple somebodies. But when I saw that number and really zeroed in on it, what it reminded me of is what Scott Skiles did as a senior. I don't think he had quite that many rebounds, but I believe he was up over five a game. And he was pretty similar size-wise, athletically, to Braden mm-hmm. Smith. He just yeah. had a knack for it. So... That's a real an area where, this is what I was getting at, where it's the rebounding. Yeah, he's a big factor, clearly. It's not just him, though. You got your point guard chipping in almost six boards a game. That's, you know, and and we talk all the time about Michigan State. You're as, you're as good a rebounding team, generally speaking, as your guards allow you to be. Well, Purdue is a really good rebounding team. And, if, and knowing that, it should not be a surprise to see really strong rebounding numbers from their guards and they have it. So I think it holds. Um, He's been a much more consistent shooter than he was a year ago. The ratio is great. Yeah. But I'm telling you when Purdue loses when they struggle and it hasn't happened a lot but when it happens I see guards getting into Braden Smith. I think the I've said this a few times this year. I think the big 10 by and large does not have teams that kind of hit Purdue where they live. Um, You don't see a lot of teams that as part of what they do apply consistent in your face ball pressure. Um, Northwestern does at times, and it's no accident that over the last two years, Northwestern's been the most effective big Ten team against Purdue. In my mm-hmm. opinion, it's no accident. That's one yeah. of the reasons why Michigan State, I think, is capable of doing that, but we haven't seen them really do it the way I think you need to in order to disrupt Purdue. So I'm not convinced we'll see them do that. but strategically, that's what that's what I would try to do if I were looking to to um, max out my chances of winning this game. And so, again, Braden Smith's hugely important. I do think he still has a vulnerability that the numbers wouldn't necessarily suggest is there. But time will tell.
0: Next will be Fletcher Lawyer, 6'5", sophomore, averaging 10.1 points a game. And when he reaches his quiver, he shoots 40, 40, and 84. And about half his attempts come from behind the line.
1: Yeah, and that's—he, unlike Braden Smith, Fletcher doesn't contribute a lot else other than shooting not a strong rebounder he's definitely not a strong individual defender (laughs) um and um you know he's not a bad passer but he's not really a dynamic playmaking type guard so it's really about shooting for him and he's been good i mean last year he had this reputation based on some hot games as a great shooter but you looked at the numbers i forget what he ended up shooting but it was i want to say it was in the low 30s yeah i think so three it was it was way out of proportion of what people thought he was. Well, this year, he's actually that. He's a 40% shooter. So if you give him open shots, it's going to be tough.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. we definitely... It, I didn't, I haven't watched a lot of Purdue, but I did watch that
0: Northwestern game, especially at the end. And the key for Northwestern winning that game was switching Boo Boo. He kept trying until sw- he got the switch onto Lawyer and then it just abused him. And so that, yeah. that was
1: his strategy. Yeah, and that, And that's the thing. So, Purdue is overall a pretty good defensive team, but you know what? There are a couple of vulnerabilities. One is that Zach Enie has to play in drop coverage, and that's all he will do. So, if you're capable of exploiting that in the mid range off pick and roll, there will be shots that are mm-hmm. likely available. They, you know, Matt Painter is a deep analytics guy. And so he's playing the percentages that hey if I got to give up long twos fine I'll live with that but those shots are there the other thing is attacking Fletcher lawyer I don't I don't think Smith is a great individual defender either but he's better than lawyer So playing 3 Lance Jones 6 foot 2 transfer from Southern Illinois
0: averaging 13 points game which is second on the team and shoots 43 37 and 76
1: yeah, he's really come on. You know, I, I looked at his numbers coming from Southern Illinois. And I, I, you know, there was this sense in certain quarters, oh, he's exactly what Purdue needed. And I looked at it and I just thought, well, this guy didn't shoot particularly well. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not, you know, and, I'm, and and he's small. He's not, he's not a super dynamic athlete. How is he changing, you know, the the overall picture for them? And even the start of this season, he was not shooting the ball particularly well, but he has a big 10 play. He has really rallied, and those numbers are good. If you would have told me at the start of the year, and you would have said, pick whomever you like, pick three guys to finish second in scoring on that team, because you know who's going to be first. Yeah. I definitely would not have gotten a Lance Jones, I'm telling you that. I wasn't even sure he was going to start. Right? Yeah. And and he's their second leading scorer, and he's earned it. It's not a mirage. So good for him. And and Matt Painter, Matt Painter is a guy who does not go into the portal very much. I'm trying to think if he had, he lost a couple players in the any, portal
0: last year. I think that's part of the reason he had to go into
1: the portal. But I think. but he hasn't he hasn't gone he hasn't gone in since things really opened up. He has not. He hasn't lost many guys. He lost a few guys in years before that. but well, he didn't lose guys since we've had basically free agency. Um, but boy, when he identified somebody, he made a really good choice because this has worked far better than I thought it had any right to. Then moving
0: on to Trey kaufman wren 6'8", sophomore, averaging six and a half points a game, a little under four and a half rebounds a game on 52, 42, and 54
1: Yeah, this is an interesting one, because if you remember, he's actually in his third year in the program. He came in in the same class as Caleb First. Mm -hmm. And Kaufman Wren was considered to be the higher rated recruit. He was by, you know, Matt Painter doesn't tend to live like in the elite recruiting realms. Every once in a while, he might get a highly rated guy but it doesn't happen often. He's usually more of a back end of the top 100 type recruiter. Coffin Wren was an exception to that. I'm pretty sure he was a consensus top 50 and yet they redshirted him. And last year, his first year playing, he had a role in the rotation, but he wasn't a starter and his minutes were kind of limited and he wasn't great. He was okay. He wasn't great. It, has been very interesting to me to watch that dynamic because mason gillis has started a lot of basketball games and caleb first got off to a really strong start in his career at purdue his freshman season he looked like to me he looked like he was going to be very legit and yet kaufman wren has ended up being the guy now he actually plays a couple minutes less per game than Gillis, so they're really sharing that position. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he's even got to that point against a guy who's got a ton of experience and who is also having a very good year, it's a credit to him. So he's Painter's process here, I think, has been borne out to be the correct one. It and you know maybe some Michigan State fans might want to keep this in mind. Hint, hint. <laughs> Hint um, <laughs> that sometimes, and I'm not saying every situation is the same, but it can be true that sometimes, even guys that are seen as likely to be very, very good players, can take a while, and it's not necessarily the right idea to just throw a roll at them. Coffin Wren is, you know, basically had to take two years to earn a spot as. A, you know, even now even this year he's played about 17-18 minutes a game you know he's not he's not out there for 30 but he's been really productive when he's played and I think his play and his ascension into that role has also helped make Purdue better than they were a year ago I mean that shooting number you know it's not high volume but you know another guy who's 40% plus from 3 yeah
0: Makes it harder to defend
1: the team, right? I mean, you just have wasn't, people who just over. Wasn't the case? Yeah, and it wasn't the case last year for that team.
0: Yeah, and for those of you who didn't who didn't catch uh, Rod's allusion there, that was probably he's talking, I think, about Stephen Izzo. All right, so finally, the right. uh, last starter is Zach Edie. Uh I seven foot five senior, every <laughs> twenty three and point uh, seven points a game, eleven point eight rebounds a game, two blocks a game, shooting sixty three and fifty. And 72. So he's only actually taken two threes. I must have seen the game that he actually hit one. I think he banked it in, too, if I recall
1: properly. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, as opposed to a lot of these other guys, he's not much of a threat. Um, Look, I mean, it's all been said about this guy. He's physically dominant. And to give him credit, it's not just that he's huge. He's also... Um, You know, there have been big, big, big guys who didn't finish the way Zach Eadie finishes. So he understands how to use his size. Um, He's had two incredible back-to-back seasons, probably looking at two consecutive National Player of the Year awards, Mm -hmm. which I'm not sure the last time it happened, but I know it's been a while. Um, If for no other reason than, you know, for the last... Close to 30 years, guys who win a National Player of the Year award are rarely ever back. Right, so that alone changes the dynamic. But he's—I would say that for as good as he is, he made—he's made some improvement. I don't think he's a great defensive player, despite the block shot stat, because again, they have to play him in drop coverage. They don't have a choice, and so. Once again, that means you're not talking about a guy who's versatile, who you can do different things with. They got to play one way. Uh, so that's a vulnerability. But I do think he's overall gotten to be a better, more aware defender than he was at earlier stages in his career, even than he was last year. Uh, yeah, I'm
0: sure I'm sure at some point you're just relying on your height and then it's you get you wise up. You're like, well, actually, if I make sure my positions properly, I recognize plays developing then I give myself a better chance of being effective
1: yeah, it, too. The thing, that's it. You know, the, the thing is, it's it's true that if you are not particularly athletic, meaning able to move, to move well, it's hard to be a great defensive player. <laughs> but if you're smart and you see and understand the game and you work at it you work at understanding your role in your team's defensive scheme. you work at understanding what opponents are going to try to do you know you can you can mentally you can think the game in a way that allows you to skip some steps. Michigan states had guys who did that. Denzel Valentine was never a great athlete for a perimeter guy, not at all, but by the time he was a senior, he was a pretty good defensive player, not great but good yeah. Cassius, Cassius Winston, not athletic for point guard uh, for uh, by a point guard standard, got to be a functional defender by the time he was a junior and a senior because he thought the game better than he had earlier in his career. So Edie's an entirely different deal in terms of his position, his physical attributes, all of that but I think in a very very general sense, it can be the same sort of thing and so I think he he thinks the game a little better, which enables him to maybe be, um, a little less readily exploited on the defensive end, but it's still an issue because against certain teams, at least, because there, there's no doubt about it, they're going to give up long twos and maybe some threes against pick and roll because he can't get out to to play any way other than in drop coverage. He can't. He can't come with a hard hedge. He can't feather. He's just not able to do that stuff. Yeah. Um, but look, still a great season. Uh, you know, uh, obviously we've alluded to this earlier. I do think he gets the benefit of the whistle. Um, and that's you, you go in just understanding that's how it is. Yeah. Uh, it's unfortunate, but it's true. And there's just not much you're going to be able to do about it as an opposing team. So you got to fight through it. I'll, I'll also say this. And this is an aesthetic comment. <laughs> I love post play. It saddens me that it's been um, kind of has fallen out of vogue in certain quarters, certainly in the NBA. And although it's interesting, I heard Draymond Green on his podcast talking about how he sees the beginnings of a switch back to emphasis on post play in the NBA. So it will be interesting to see if that continues, gets more accelerated. But in general, post play is not what it was. And I love good post play, but what I like is I like watching a skilled, strong guy who knows what he's doing, his great footwork. That can be a beautiful thing to watch. Actually, other than the finishing, Jackson Kohler is really fun to watch, for example. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: In Michigan for Michigan State. Zach Eady is not fun to watch. Zach Eady is not an aesthetic and it's not his fault. he didn't make himself seven five, you know, but <laughs> yeah. but he is. And it's it's not a pretty Purdue is not a pretty team to watch play because so much of what they do revolves around him. And so it's always gonna look the way it looks. I would be glad to see him gone. Nothing against him. Seems like a good kid. Um, he's been very effective. I just don't think it's fun basketball.
0: Yeah, the, the only other two things I'd add about him, one is I've been very impressed with his durability. I don't think he's really has any has yep, had any major injuries point. or even minor it's a very injuries. Good point. And then second, his endurance, his ability to stay on the floor for long yep. for you know, thirty minutes or so. It's impressive for a guy that big
1: yeah those are both really good points because the endurance thing was definitely a question i had heading into last year because if you think about the year prior he basically split the position with um trevion williams yeah and so there was an issue like okay played like 19 minutes a game can he go 25 and i think he ended up averaging more than that i think was like 28 29, never, yeah yeah and never looked winded and so that's credit to him because that's a man, even if you're working hard for a guy his size, that is tough. It is not easy to get yourself to a point that you can play at a consistent level, with a consistent level of energy um, for 30 minutes. And right. you're right about the durability, too. I mean, he, despite the fact that I think he gets the benefit of the whistle in many instances, there's also no denying that he takes a lot of contact. I mean, he oh, shot yeah. an ungodly amount of free throws this year. I think he's I don't know. I think he's somewhere. I'd have to look at the stats again. I didn't pull it's it. A lot. But he's I, wa- I want to. S- yeah. yeah, I want to say it's at least like eight attempts a game, maybe even more. Um, and uh, and so he takes a lot of hard contact, and to just not miss games is a credit to him. There's some good luck in there too. Yeah. But he's not fragile. We can say that much.
0: I think the fact that he doesn't jump a lot, in the sense, you know, he's not like doing a lot of dynamic yep. jumping and stuff. It helps because he's... And with all the traffic he's in, you think it a couple times you land on someone's foot and tw- roll your ankle or something sure, like that. But he's sure. pretty much terrestrially bound. The only time he lifts his foot is if the other one's on the ground. So,
1: yeah, and but you know, but that's all true, and I think you're right about that. But then you think about just what guys at that size tend to fall prey to. I mean, foot problems tend to be endemic in big men. You know, anything lower body. But it just seems to me the taller you are, the more vulnerable you are when you're playing this sport, right? Yeah. Some of it for the reasons you suggested, but I think some of it is just biology. Um, it seems to me, and, and probably uh, you know the, the wear and tear. And
0: he probably, since he didn't, he had really didn't play much basketball prior to college. Uh, that probably has helped him too. I mean, I don't think I think he was playing other that's sports true. before. So that's, that's true.
1: No, you're right. Helped a little you're bit. You're right. He was a baseball player.
0: Yeah. All right. Well let's move on to the reserves and the bench. Uh begin with Mason Gillis, you talked about before, six foot eight senior, averaging six point nine points a game, three point nine rebounds a game. Plays about twenty minutes, shooting 51, 48, and eighty-eight.
1: Just a good player. I mean, yeah, I've, I like him. I've I've always thought I've always thought Mason Gillis is one of those guys that um you can definitely win with. He's he's very much the epitome of a modern four in that He's big enough and strong enough to hang inside, but boy, he can he can really stretch the floor. And, you know, it, its I honestly think he's talented enough that it would have been interesting to see what he might have been capable of doing in another context on a team where he was maybe more of a featured part, because mm-hmm. I do think he's got a lot of ability. I don't know that he could have been an all-conference level guy, but I also wouldn't rule it out because I'd look at. I look at the way he plays, I look at his skill set, and I think you know those counting numbers don't correlate to what I think of him as a player, and that's mostly a function of what else Purdue has around him. They never have to ask him to do much more than that. But yeah, he's a really good player.
0: And sadly, this is probably the last time I get to tell my bad dad joke of salty Ethan Morton, six foot five senior, averaging zero point eight points a game on 22, 22, and fifty seven, which of course guarantees that he'll hit this first three attempt against Michigan State out there. Uh he's a really good defender and that's mainly all he does.
1: That and just gives him another ball handler. His his role what's he play I think I had the minutes. What's thirteen he minutes like? a game? Thirteen minutes a game. Yeah. So his role has reduced this year. If you remember last year he was he used a, to be starter. a starter at some point. Yeah, yeah. Right. right. And so that's, if you want to talk about an area that Purdue is better in, it's replacing his minutes with Lance Jones. Yeah. They've gotten much more in the way of offensive productivity. I don't think their defense has suffered. So he's seen his role revert back to more of just a hold the fort kind of guy. Um, And, you know, he's experienced, and he's a good defensive player, and he doesn't tend to make many mistakes with the ball, so that's good. But He's you know, he's he's in his fourth year. He had one year, his sophomore year, where inexplicably he shot the ball well from three and all the other years he's really struggled. So that's what's keeping him in a reduced role that he's in is that, you know, he doesn't give them as much as some other options do on the offensive end.
0: Next is 6'6", six, six, redshirt freshman Cam Heidi, averaging three and a half points a game and a little under two rebounds a game in 12 minutes, shooting 58, 50, and 78.
1: Yeah. Now, it's not super high volume, but again, <laughs> there's another guy. Yeah. And he's helped them. You know, he, he redshirted last year. So I've already talked about two guys who took redshirts. You know, that's something you're not supposed to be able to do in the modern age. <laughs> yeah, but Matt right. Painter has been able to do it, and it's worked. You know, Cam Heidi is a very athletic guy. The fact that he can also give you some reliable shooting is just a bonus. Uh, I think he's a player that likely sees his role increase next year, uh, but for now, he gives him a pretty good reserve option in his first year playing. Then we go to killed First,
0: six foot ten, junior, averaging two point six points a game and three rebounds a game in ten minutes shooting 44, 20, and 68.
1: Yeah, this is a hard one for me to understand. And there have been a couple guys around the Big Ten. And look, we're in this era of free agency, so everything is wide open, right? (laughs) You you don't have any way of knowing what's going to happen. But if there were two guys in the Big Ten that I would identify as likely portal candidates just because I think... They have to, I have to assume they're frustrated with the roles they're playing. And they've shown, they've actually shown at different points of their careers on the court that they can be productive. Dane Danger at Illinois is one. And this would be the other guy. Now we'll see if that happens. First could be really happy at Purdue for all I know. I'm not working on, I'm not working off anything other than how he was viewed when he came in, how he played as a freshman the role he was playing last year and now the role he's playing this season. You know, he looked to me like a guy who could be a long-term starter at the four because I thought he was good enough athletically to handle it defensively. He had a reputation as a big who could stretch the floor, so I thought he could handle it offensively as well. And if you remember his freshman season, Zach Eady wasn't... I mean, Zach Eady was in his class, right? Mm-hmm. So, no, check that. Zach Eady. He's a year older. No, right? I'm around about a year older. Yeah. But Zach Eady hadn't played yet, really. And so right. I think that there has to be, I would imagine, a sense of frustration. And his, to be fair, his level of play has gone backward. I mean, he can't, he doesn't shoot threes well anymore. No. And he's not good. I still, I look at him and this is what I you know he was a guy Michigan State recruited very hard. They wanted him. And when I saw him as a freshman I thought boy this is this is a a plus Matt Costello. Which is a compliment. That's yeah, a big right. compliment. Mm-hmm. I thought this was I thought I thought this was this is Matt Costello but a Matt Costello that arrives at a high level of play earlier in his career than Matt Costello did. That's what I thought he was on track for. And instead it's gone the other direction. So you just have to wonder. And, and I mentioned they're going to have two more gargantuan guys next year. So it's not like you look <laughs> yeah. at it and say, like well, open he'll, up slide, he'll yeah. slide into the center role. He, he probably would be in line for more minutes. So maybe he sticks around, but I just have to wonder 10 minutes a game. As a junior, that can't be what Caleb first had in mind when he committed.
0: Well, in 6'10 at Purdue, that's like half a foot too short to play center. Uh, right. Moving on, finally, finish up with Miles Colvin, uh, 6'5", foot uh, 6'5 freshman, averaging a little under four points a game and 48, 46, and 50 shooting. If I've been surprised
1: by, well, I've been surprised by a few things, but this is definitely one of the high points. I thought Miles Colvin had a real chance to break into that rotation and maybe even an outside chance to start. They don't typically start freshmen very often unless they have no choice. Painter is, you know, kind of like Izzo, he likes to get old and stay old. Yeah. Um but to me, their team last year had an obvious lack of a player like Colvin, an athletic wing who could maybe do some things Offensively, that they didn't have a last year's team. Well, instead, as it turns out, they went out and got Lance Jones, a very different kind of player, but he's proven to be perfect. And Colvin has been productive. You bet. The shooting numbers are good, and he is a plus athlete. He's, I'd say, he's a shade behind Cohen Carr, but not many other guys. As a jumper, yeah, he is impressive. You haven't seen it that much because they just haven't had him in that spot and he hasn't played the minutes in fact he has gotten dnps i believe in six games so i hesitated even to definitively mention him because i don't think it's a lock that he plays but he's definitely a name for the future i think starting next year you can expect to see him in a bigger role um but if he does see the floor he is capable he can he's proven an ability to hit shots and he is a real athlete all right. So then let's go on to the Michigan State player that cleans
0: the glass best brought to you by the squeegee squad of Grand Rapids. If you need your windows cleaned, there's no better place to go than the squeegee squad. They'll come in and they'll clean the inside, the outside. They could be your house. It could be your business. It could be a high rise, whatever you need done. No job is too small or too big for the squeegee squad at Grand Rapids. Uh, you can find ways to contact them and get an estimate at our support page at the slash support. There you can estimate 15% off if you mention rebound uh, when you get your estimate. And they will, super professional, they'll come in and do whatever it takes to get the job done. Even in this kind of weather now, cold or hot. And it could be either way. Maybe the same day here in Michigan (laughs) right now. It could be both of those. So they'll come out and do it. So make sure you contact them. All right, right now, I think it's six to five and a half. You get to pick first this time. Who are you picking for Michigan State's player to clean the glass best?
1: It's actually a tough one because I'm, I'm inclined to think that MSU is going to try to roll with a lot of Madi Sissoko mm-hmm. in this game, and he might be a reasonable pick. The problem is, anybody going to get Zach Eady, you also have to assume there may be foul trouble. Yep. So I'm going to stick with what's been the predictable yeah. path Shoot. and go with Malik Call.
0: Yeah, I was. You almost had me uh, getting excited that you weren't going to pick Malik because I thought. <laughs> It's <laughs> a good pick. I, 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 think I don't have a choice except to go with Mahdi. Um I, you know, I, I don't. I would be surprised again if we have Booker starting, but I see him easily getting into foul trouble with Zach Eadie because um, you know I think you're just you got someone experienced taking on someone like that, and from a strength standpoint too, I think there's quite a big difference. So I don't know. I mean, I think this is. It's gonna be a rough day, I think, off the board on the boards for Michigan State in general. So hopefully they hold their own and maybe their guards match up okay. And you know, Jaden comes in with like six or seven or something.
1: I will say this: if Michigan State is somehow able to keep that rebounding differential pretty much even, well, that'd be amazing. I'm not gonna be, but I'm. If that happens, I'm not gonna be surprised if we end up saying Madi Sissoko had a lot to do with that. Yeah. I'm picking Malik in part because I'm not ultra confident they'll be able to do that. If they do, I'm going to bet he had a lot to do with it.
0: All right, then we'll move on to the five keys of the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. If you need Spartan apparel or apparel from other schools in the state of Michigan or maybe Indiana, because you're like if you're gonna, I'm gonna irritate Purdue fans. I'm gonna wear Indiana gear, so that's a great way to do it too. You can get all that at Nudge Printing at NudgePrinting.com. Twenty percent off. You mentioned Final Four. Just that's one word at checkout in the coupon code. They have hoodies, T-shirts, cornhole. They've got decals for the wall, for your computer, whatever you need. All high quality stuff, all made in Michigan. Uh, you can't go wrong with their stuff. I have a bunch of it. It's great. That's why we're very careful about who we have sponsored this show. And they've been a fantastic partner. And it's just because, because they have great products and they great Spartans. All right, so the first key to the game, uh, Edie. I'm surprised, I'm shocked. So <laughs> so yeah. I guess, you know, what do you do? And how do you how do you do it? Because I feel like when I've... The Northwestern game, he had he really struggled scoring. Uh, he was just like you know missing a bunch of stuff, which is I think almost random. And then the Minnesota game, at least the first half in West Lafayette, Purdue was down quite a bit at halftime, largely because he got two quick fouls. And you know I don't know that.
1: Okay, yeah, <laughs> that pull that off much. Yeah, it look it's difficult, and uh, Michigan State does not have a physical match in the post yeah. to really successfully contain him one-on-one. But, you know, almost nobody does <laughs> in college. So that's not unusual. Yeah, Michigan State's not unusual in that respect. So what do you do with Zakim Well, the, the strategic approach that I've seen work the best is when you're able to swarm him when he gets the ball. So by that, I don't just mean two guys i mean three guys coming at him looking not just to even strip him but just take him off rhythm um yeah not allow him to get to the spots that he wants to get to because he's very much a guy who there's a comfortable range for him and on the interior pace but also distance from the basket Yeah, there are spots where he's comfortable and there are spots and it can it can be the difference of just, you know, a step. Mm -hmm. But other spots where maybe he's not as comfortable. And the teams that I've seen have success, relatively speaking, against him, have been able to successfully do that by just sending a lot of bodies at him that way aggressively. You know, that's why I mentioned Northwestern. That's what Fairleigh Dickinson did. Um, so we'll see i I don't think you know this is where Tom Mizo could shock us all, I guess, but I don't think that um I'm not expecting Michigan State to play the way I've seen other teams successfully play him,
0: yeah, and one step for him is like four feet, all right, right, so the second key to the game is turnovers. Michigan State's been pretty good valuing the ball this season. Uh, I think they've yeah. been not
1: quite as good the last few games, but still, you know, I'm worth no, quibbling still over 10 bad. turnovers. They haven't, yeah, I mean. they haven't they haven't lost either of those last two games because of excess turnovers. They had some turnovers against Ohio State that were badly timed and yeah, led sure. to easy points, but it wasn't a major factor. Um, I just, I'll say this, if there's a path to Michigan State hanging in this game, there's almost no way it could include a lot of giveaways. Yeah, right.
0: Yeah, if you want to get extra shots, you're, they you're, got a you're, value. We're, we're the assuming ball. you're, you're getting yeah.
1: We assume you're giving right. away
0: possessions on the offensive right, right. boards, right? Right. So you got to make them up right. with turnovers, the right? Yeah. Right. Uh, so third key to the game is ball pressure, and you mentioned this a lot. And it's not something Michigan State does a lot of, but occasionally you'll see, like Tyson, especially get into a guy if yep. he thinks he
1: has trouble, he'll get into him. And and Trey Holloman has done it at times. Yep. You know, Jerry Fears was doing it a lot. They've lost him, of course. That yeah. hurt, that's has hurt their ability to do that some. But look, I just know that's one of the other things. I believe it's it's guards swarming Edie and it's guards really applying strong ball pressure. That is the formula for getting a shot against Purdue. You could do those things well and not win by the way, too. It doesn't mean you're guaranteed to win if you do those things. But those are the elements that I've observed over the last couple of years that led to some success. And I don't know if Michigan State will do those things, because they're, they're not standard approaches. I do think Michigan State has guys that are capable of doing that. I just don't know that we'll see it to the degree. Like, if it were me, I'd be putting Braden Smith under heat immediately. Now, one thought To consider is, you're playing in West Lafayette. If you do that, does A.J. Hogarth have to sit with two fouls, you know, 45 seconds into the game? Right, exactly. Maybe. That's the downside. But, you know, on the other hand, I think if you play passively, or not aggressively even, um, I don't know that your chances of winning are good either. So, you know, is it an environment where you decide we're going to take a risk, figuring that our chances aren't great anyway? And maybe have that, you know, lightning striking moment. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Arsenic or p- strychnine, which do you prefer? Pick your poison. Yeah. yeah. All right. So fourth key to the game, defensive boards. We already mentioned Purdue elite offensive rebounding team. This is a kind yeah. of brainer. You can't allow that. And of course, we've, this has been a, a killer for Michigan State at times. Far
1: easier said than done, but yeah. I will say this, you know, Zach Eadie, Zach Eadie. Okay. And they're going to be the offensive rebounds he gets, and then there's also the offensive rebounds that his presence right creates for others. But this is a very good. It's been a very good shooting team all year. If you're also giving them regularly getting second chances when they do miss, very tough job to find a way to win. So you got to find a way. You got to find a way to at least be competitive. You don't have to beat them, but you can't you can't be at like, you know, some crazy like, you know, thirteen to five disadvantage on the offensive class. That's that's just a recipe for a blowout
0: loss. For sure. Yeah, and this is a game where if there's every game to have five guys crash the boards every possession. Yep. This is the game you have to do it. Yep. So fifth key and final key to the game is the three Michigan state not good against Ohio State from three after their first
1: six. And so uh, got to be better. Well, I just say, I look, I, I it doesn't change what I think about Michigan State as a shooting team. I think they're, mm-hmm. they're a very good, they might even be the second best three point shooting team in the big 10. I'm not sure if that's true statistically behind Purdue, but it's, they got to be close. Um, So I, it, I think they're a good three point shooting team, but what I'm saying here is, it's again, you're 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 behind the eight ball in that Purdue is very, very, very good, and you're in their building where you almost never win. So you line all of that stuff up and and then you say, okay, well, what's in that situation, what is an equation to having a shot to win look like? And I think it's hard to imagine that Michigan State, I've said this a few a few different areas, but one that definitely also applies. It's hard for me to imagine Michigan State finding a way to win if they don't shoot well from yeah. distance. Because Purdue will give up some threes. I mean, they don't hemorrhage attempts, but they'll give up some looks. As I said that's one of the problems with Edie on the defensive end. There's certain shots they're just gonna give up. And and because they they know that they have to make a choice. And that choice is going to be okay. You beat us from range, and so Michigan State is going to have to shoot well, I think, to have a chance. Yeah. Well, and this really feels like a game where Michigan State
0: has to play their A game, and Purdue play a B minus C game just to just to
1: say just because it's on in at Mackey. Yeah, I would because it's at Mackey, and Purdue's been a much more consistent high level team. If if Michigan State can reach. The level of play we've seen on a couple of occasions this year. The level they played at against Baylor. The level they played at against Illinois at home. If we see that version of Michigan State, and Purdue is less than they normally are at home, maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah,
0: you know they're going to be uh, they're going to be on and ready for this game. So. Uh, all right. Well, the last uh, thing, let's uh we have the listener question of the day is brought to you by Element Zero Sugar Electrolyte Solution. Whether you need to rehydrate after working out or maybe getting too amped up watching the state game, throwing things at the television, watching them play Purdue. Uh, let me recommend Element. It uh, provides the need of sodium, magnesium, and potassium without all the sugar and calories you get from other sports drinks. Super simple. You just tear it, tear it open, add a pack to 32 ounces of water, and you're good to go. Lots of flavors to choose from. My favorites are watermelon and raspberry you can find the affiliate link on our support page for your order, which gets you a free variety pack with any purchase, even of another variety pack. And so you can experience all their flavors and figure out which ones you like most for a bigger order. All right. So if you have a question you'd like answered, send it along as a text, or if you want to get it read sort of as an audio stand, you can send a voicemail memo, memo to me at eric at com. And today's question comes from Paul Nowasic. Uh, <laughs> this concerns a five spot. I notice a trend in all our questions. It appears to me that our guards and wings do not ever look to pass the ball down low, either after a potential pick and roll or during fast breaks. It's especially apparent when Matt, Madi, Booker, Kohler, and Cooper are calling for the ball at those times. Why are we not at least trying to feed them the ball? Is it intentional?
1: Well, I hope so. <laughs> I kind of knew where this answer is going to be. Yeah. I am not one who believes that. Um. Michigan State's fives are not capable of contributing to winning basketball, but it is very clear this season that certainly with regard to Maty and and Cooper. Um, yeah. Cooper, that post play has been a disaster. Those have basically been possessions that you can almost chalk up as a turnover, because they don't tend they don't tend to kick the ball out. If it goes into them, they're taking a shot most of the time. And, again, I have not seen uh, synergy numbers on this, but I have to believe the rate of success for both those guys is extremely low. Yeah, Extremely low. Um, Kohler, I think, is different. I think they do look to get the ball to Kohler since he's come back. And they certainly do look to get it at times to Malik Hall as well. Um, Booker is not normally posting anybody up. So I think you take him out of that equation. He hasn't played enough yet to get any. People. But why just the, and, I, and he's he's not ready physically. Yeah, right. To really do that yet, even if he was even when he did play more minutes against Ohio State. How much did you see him post up? Very rarely, if at all. Um, so I, I. In years past, this was a hobby horse of mine when Michigan State, I can remember complaining about it. Um, as far back as when Andre Hudson was part of Michigan State's team that I've, I never felt they gave him enough touches mm-hmm. because I thought I thought he was a really good low post scorer. And you would just see the guards too often, and, and for my taste, show a lack of patience in, in making post-entry feeds. Basketball's changed a lot since then, but um, I'm generally a proponent of playing through the post but that does necessitate that you've got guys who can actually produce down there, and I think right now Michigan State's basically got one post player, yeah. one and a one and a quarter, whatever you want to ascribe <laughs> to Kohler. Yeah. But Malik calls really it. So I, no, I I do not want to see more of that. I'd like to see less.
0: Yeah, and I do think it's
1: intentional that the play that they're not fed
0: that ball, because, And, and Absolutely. I would also add too. You know, it, there's there's feeding the ball in the post, and there's feeding the ball in the post. And I think when Cooper and Madi are are, are positioning themselves, they're never in very deep. Like I feel like they, on the occasion that they're really deep, like you know, two feet from the yeah. basket, they do get the ball. Huh? But when they're six, eight feet out, there's just it's and not really good position. Too. It's Look, just like you're a, you're basically a, passing a, to pass out to someone else. There's no <laughs> there's
1: no there's nothing they're going to do with that ball. As significant as anything in post play is. What spot on the floor are you able to get to? And what spot on the floor are you able to hold? Yeah. And so you're right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and the only thing that, to your point about Malik Hall and Kohler to some extent, although we've very limited action, is they can actually improve their position, you know,
1: on the... Right. With their handle. Oh, Jack, Jack, Jackson, absolutely. both those guys do, but Jackson, absolutely. Yeah. You see him do that. Um, he's got real post game. He just he's struggling to finish. Yep. But his his ability to move and to get himself to work himself to spots he's comfortable in, that's there. Yeah. It's hard to imagine him getting much done in this game of course, but Right. Uh, just with yeah. going up against CD.
0: All right, any final thoughts about the game? I nope. know, I <laughs> it, Tough I have one. I think I think the chances of a win here are minuscule. However, you know, if they were pulled
1: off, then you can rest easy going into selection Sunday. I would say this, you know, it, it didn't get a lot of attention, but, um, you know, Ohio State had not won at Breslin since 2012. I remember right. vividly the last time they'd won it. Oh, was, I remember Andy um, crying. It was, the yeah. day, <laughs> it was the day that Michigan State could have won the Big Ten regular season outright. Yep. And instead they had to share it. Um, so it had been a long time for them. So weird things happen, but yeah, I'm with you. It's not likely. Yeah, it'll be tough. And if it th- does happen, if it does happen, I'm just about positive we'll be talking about Michigan State having played a truly great game, probably their best of the year. Yeah, barring some bizarre so. injury, just like Zach E.D. or something yeah. like that early in the game.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, well, we'll we'll leave it there, and we'll get back to you guys after the game, and then two more games before the Big Ten tournament. And I, uh, the last thing I just mentioned to uh, is not related to the game, but. My son, Peter, actually got accepted to Purdue University. He's going to go to the motorsports (laughs) engineering. Uh, He has committed, though. He will not like Zach Eady and he's not going to be too excited to boil her up, but he's excited to be going down there for engineering. So (laughs) he would be down in Indianapolis to their campus. So until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green.